Filthy Henry, Accidental Legend, Chapter 9. Noel drove down the winding Irish country road. Baffled at how navigating the small country was still such a disaster in this modern age. It was like nobody had sat down at some point and figured out that straight lines make for quicker journeys. Instead, the population as a whole had seemingly enjoyed making every road and path a scenic route. It made him wonder what counted as a scenic route in Ireland. If every route was scenic, then it was highly likely that a load of people were standing in the centre of a field somewhere, aimlessly lost, but with loads of fantastic photos to show folk when they got back home. At the end of the road there was a gentle turn to the left. In fact, calling what they currently drove along a road was insulting to real roads. The closest this road had ever been to Tarmac was when somebody had driven a truck down it to deliver the black stuff to some other location. This road was just a well-signposted dirt track, wide enough for a car to manoeuvre along once it kept to the middle, and paid no heed to the collection of leaves gathering around the side mirrors. Says it's just up here on the right, Trug said, squinting at the road map opened up on his lap. Noel was surprised that the gentle giant had not thrown the road map out the window by now. Trug had found reading maps difficult back in the old days, but the body swap seemed to have improved that skill for him greatly. Even still, with all the fancy technology people had available to them these days, maps seemed to be at best pretty pictures of a country with guidelines all over the place. Twice today they had taken turns into fields that the map indicated brought them out to a motorway or into a town centre. It had been a very long drive, but they had seen loads of lovely places along the way. Maeve had stayed behind at the Crone's Hovel in order to not risk the retrieval of the bull. According to Lauren, the Queen had to send her representatives to ask if the current guardian would relinquish the bull freely. If they did, then everyone came home a winner. If not, then Maeve was allowed to try and take the brown bull by force. But until the question had been asked, and the guardian allowed to answer, the Queen was not allowed to approach the animal. Apparently magic itself would have somehow ensured that Maeve failed miserably in her attempt to get the bull. Had he not been brought back to life in another man's body, Noel would have found the mention of magic questionable. Now he was willing to take a lot of things on blind faith. Thankfully, the crone had been able to scry the approximate location of the bull's current owner once Noel and Trug had given her the name. She was slightly surprised that the family who had protected the animal for centuries had sold it. Maeve had questions if they really had to follow the rules still, considering the bull was now owned by somebody else. Noel had even pointed out that while they were going to ask the current owner to hand over the bull, Surely the previous one was still the correct person that had to be asked. The crone had settled the argument using more magic. She had opened a little box near her cauldron and taken out a number of small, dirty bones. These were thrown across the floor, the places they had fallen examined carefully. Yes, we still have to ask the person who currently owns the bull, Lauren had said. The rules adjusted to the situation, so just do as I say. It means that the bull technically has two protectors now. The current owner is the guardian. The previous one now falls under the title of champion. You're lucky though, because it seems that the new owner isn't hidden from magic like the bull or the previous owner. 
so I can get an idea of where he is. The result of this bone fortune-telling being that Noel and Trug had to go on this little drive. Noel spotted an entrance into a field on the right, just as Trug had suggested there would be, and turned the car off the road. He drove in just past the open gate and parked beside a large red tractor. The tractor seemed to have been in the same spot for years. Rust had taken hold of the body and the large rear wheels had plants growing in the hubs. Noel and Trug got out of the car and looked around. The field was fairly nondescript as fields went. It had grass, hedges, rocks, little bumps and rises in the ground. There was even a large tree in one corner, standing guard like a powerful but very thin giant. Everything that all other fields Noel had ever seen usually had. Off to the left came the sound of an engine, a dirt bike warbling loudly for the world to hear and hate. Noel started to walk in the direction of the noise, Trug following close behind. As they climbed up a small hill, both men saw a man in his late thirties riding a scrambler around the field. He seemed to be doing it for fun rather than work, as every so often the rider brought the bike to a stop and then spun around on the spot, sending a spray of dirt and grass into the air before racing off again. On his last spin, he spotted Noel and Trug. With a roar of the engine, he gunned the bike towards them. He crested the little hill with ease, the rider bringing the bike to a stop just beside Trug, killing the engine with a twist of the key. This is private land, the rider said. No through pass, and I don't want to hear about how hill walkers get to stomp around wherever they like, so long as they close the gates after themselves. Noel looked back over his shoulder at the wide open gate which they had driven through the gate which had not been closed upon their arrival. You do know we drove in, right? he said to the biker. Also, we're not hill walkers. We're hunters of rare and fantastical objects. True looked at Noel and frowned. What? Yeah, what? the biker said, nodding at Trug. Noel rolled his eyes. We represent a third party who generally likes to remain a third party while negotiations are made on their behalf, in order to acquire objects of great worth and value. This party, who shall remain nameless and genderless for the duration of our conversation, wishes to purchase something in your possession. Money's no object in this matter. The biker's eyes glazed over as Noel spoke. When the short man finished, there was no immediate response. Sorry, the biker said. I think you have me confused with someone who gives a damn. He reached down and gripped the ignition key. Trug reached over and placed a shovel-sized hand down on the handlebars, shaking his head once. You'll want to listen to what we have to say, the tall man said. The lady doesn't like asking twice. Look, Joe, can I call you Joe? You can call me Betty, if I can call you Al. My name's Farmer Murphy to those who don't know me. Now tell your buddy here to get his hand off my bike. Trug looked over at Noel for confirmation of what to do next. Noel gave a slight affirmative nod of his head and the hand was removed from the bike. Farmer Murphy sat back at his saddle and crossed his arms in front of his chest. Speak, he said, clearly annoyed. Look, Noel said, amused at the airs Farmer Murphy was putting on. We've come here to see how much you're looking for or what you want in order to give us that brown bull you've got. We heard in town that you bought it from the previous owner. Money's not an object. 
Objects or no object even. You want it? We can make that happen. All you need to do is name a price. Greed was one of humanity's most basic features. Not everyone had it in a bad way, but there was always a drop of it in a person. Noel had seen young children, only able to walk, want the apple that their brother was eating, despite having an apple of their own, for no other reason than to have two apples. Kings invaded other lands, not for wealth and glory, but because they liked the shade of grass that the other king had. Most people of real character could ignore the little whisper in their mind which said, more, on a loop. Such people were difficult to bribe and rarely had a price which would make them turn the other cheek. Morally incorruptible. People that were just sickeningly good to their core. But Noel saw the farmer before him and knew there was something, some amount of money which could be named and the ownership of the bull would be transferred without question. He was a man of low morals and high tastes. A sizable injection of cash would have him riding dirt bikes from now until his last days. Farmer Murphy grinned at Noel, looked at Trug and smiled, then turned back to the short man. Noel could see the glint of greed in the farmer's eyes. Get off my land, the farmer said. This caught Noel by surprise. Sorry? My bull is not for sale. For any amount of money or offer of amazing toys and boats filled with delightful things. Understood? He's been alive for more years than any bull has a right to be alive. That idiot Cullen didn't pay any attention to it growing up. Or even research it. He sold it to me for a few hundred quid. It's going to make me a lot more than that. I'm going to be famous and that bull is my ticket. I'm talking medically famous. Scientifically famous. And stinking bloody rich famous. So get off my land. Noel scratched his chin thoughtfully and looked up at a passing cloud. He had seen the glint of greed, but this man's greed was clearly something special. It was focused on an end result and people like that, with that level of control over their desires, were nearly as bad as the ones who could ignore their greed completely. Which meant that now the need for social niceties had ended. Noel was not going to return to the Queen without her bull. Such an act of lunacy would merely deny his rewards for being a loyal warrior. Plan B, Noel said. There was a sudden movement from True as he pulled a gun from his coat pocket. It was aimed one-handed at Farmer Murphy's head. True's finger lightly touched the trigger. Any last words? he asked. The farmer, still grinning, shrugged. You're late, he said. True glanced at Noel, then arched his eyebrows and stared at Farmer Murphy. Not the best words I've ever heard, but you get to pick them, I suppose, Noel said. I wasn't talking to you, the farmer replied with a flick of his head, indicating the area behind True and Noel. Noel turned his head slowly and saw the largest bull he had ever seen in his life standing behind them. Its head was pointed down so that each horn lined up perfectly with their backs. One was aimed directly at Noel, the other ready to pierce True's spine. Massive muscles ripped across the animal's neck, a neck that seemed to vanish into a giant body. The bull was stamping at the ground with its left front hoof. Despite the mildness of the day, steam bellowed from its nostrils with each breath. True, Noel said, trying very hard to move as little as humanly possible. Between the eyes or in the chest, True gasped. Farmer Murphy tutted under his breath, 
Lads, even if you did manage to kill me, old Ben there would gouge you both within an inch of your life. Then stamp on that inch until you were nothing but a red stain on the ground. Very protective of people who look after him. People that treat him well. For years before I bought him, I would visit him in the field and bring him some nice food. Developed a bit of a bond with him. Legwork, you understand. I've seen him do some pretty amazing things, old Ben. What's he talking about, Noel? Drew asked. Old Ben the bull took a single slow step forward. The point of his left horn pressed into Trug's back. It was hard to tell if fear had clouded his vision or not, but Noel could have sworn that the horn was made from metal, the tip razor sharp. It glistened in the sunlight. Trug stiffened as the animal applied a little pressure. Now, Farmer Murphy said, smiling too much for Noel's liking. Generally I don't do this, but old Ben here hasn't had a good run around for a while. So here's what'll happen. I'm going to count to ten, and then my fantastic bull there is going to charge at anything in this field that doesn't belong. What do you mean you don't have the bull? Maeve asked, standing with her hands on her hips and tapping her foot. True lay on the ground outside the hovel, sweat glistening all over his body. A body which Maeve had been sure was wearing clothes a few hours before. There was something covering his legs that once could have been a pair of jeans. Or at least jeans shaped. But his shirt and coat were nothing more than ribbons, haphazardly looped around his neck. His back was also sporting a gash, caused by a sword thrust of some kind, she assumed. Although the distinct lack of swords in this modern Ireland brought into serious question what could have caused the wound. Noel fared a little better as he sat on the grass with his back against the car. His clothes were at least all intact although the coat had a number of holes punched through it. She guessed that whatever had created these had missed his body purely by luck, given that the man Noel's spirit now inhabited was so skinny. He was, however, holding his left arm close to his body and winced any time movement was required. In his right hand he held a flattened metal object. They had returned thirty minutes ago, but had not come near the hovel. Lauren had spotted them through the window and set the door on the latch. When neither had entered the crone's abode, Maeve had gone out to see what the delay was and found them both in their current state. Noel had said how they did not have the bull. Then both men just stared off into the distance silently. Don't make me repeat myself, Maeve said, kicking the forlorn Trug hard in his shoulder. The giant man barely moved. It was like kicking a soft boulder. We heard you the first time, my queen, Noel said as he dropped the object from his hand. What is that thing? Maeve asked. It was True's gun, Noel said. Maeve looked at the flattened metal. The weapon that shoots metal which can kill? What happened to it? We ran, because the bull looked like it was about to charge. True dropped the gun on the grass and then the bull just flattened it. Like, completely, in one stamp. While Farmer Murphy just, just laughed at us. Then the bull kicked the flattened gun at us. The queen closed her eyes and pinched the bridge of her nose. She slowly walked over to stand in front of Noel, knelt down and opened her eyes. It gave her a small moment of joy to see him flinch at the sight of her. Maeve reached out and grabbed the short man by his shirt collar. Tell me why I don't have my bloody bull. Noel gulped. Turns out the current owner has something of a relationship with the animal. 
He speaks and the bull listens. When Murphy was threatened, the bull appeared, out of thin air, as if by magic. She suffered fools lightly, and male ones even less so. With her free hand, she slapped Noel across the face, hard. It's a magical animal, you dolt. Sorry, you're right, of course. Anyway, the farmer just went and said we had until the count of ten to get out of the field. But he actually never said he would count to ten with all the numbers in between. We were only walking back to the car and he said ten. Then the bull went after us. I've seen things, Shrug whispered from his place on the ground. Maeve let go of Noel's collar and stood up. Things had most definitely not gone according to plan. Yet again. Last time the boy had stepped in to cause problems. This time the bull seemingly had no intentions of making things easy. Which meant that Maeve would have to, once again, resort to capturing the animal by force. The only problem was that last time she had had the army of a lie under her command. A force to invade with and steal what was rightfully hers. In this era, there were no armies. They would need to come up with a new plan of attack. One that somehow involved the bull stamping down on the head of this farmer Murphy for being so difficult. Cahill's biceps burned with white-hot pain. Bones ached from being used in a manner that God surely had not intended they be used. Somewhere in his chest something had to be broken. Otherwise the agony of breathing made no sense. Not to mention that it felt like his heart was trying to punch its way out. On the tip of his nose, a bead of sweat hung precariously, just invisible as it failed to fall. He was starting to lose vision in one eye, an exercise injury he had never heard of before. The passage of time had ceased to be a concept he was aware of. All he knew was pain and suffering as he stretched, pressed, pushed and moved parts of his body he had nearly forgot about. Exercises brought under the sadistic umbrella heading of training. Training which had started, as soon as Filthy Henry had returned all the doors and windows in the house, back to normal, following a light breakfast of dry toast. All of this had to be endured, apparently, so that Filthy Henry would keep his promise and help Cahill win over the lovely Alice. For that, Cahill would do just about anything although how long he was willing to do anything remained to be seen. How many is that now? Cahill asked through gritted teeth, as the wobble in his arms grew worse. To his left he heard a loud intake of breath. One, Filthy Henry said, sighing. You've done one push-up, and it took you nearly five minutes to actually lift your body up from the ground. Newborns are able to do one push-up for Dagda's sake. Cahill gave in and collapsed to the dirt resting his face on a large dandelion and closing his eyes. So we're done for the day, right? We're doomed, Shelley said. With a lot more physical effort than he had grown accustomed to, Cahill rolled over onto his back and opened his eyes. Shelley had come out of the house with a tray bearing tea and coffee. She set it down on the ground beside Filthy Henry's chair. How long do we actually have to get him ready? She asked Filthy Henry. I'd like to say, like, a decade, the fairy detective said as he lifted a cup of coffee from the tray. When was the last time you actually did any exercise, Carl? Or is lifting a pint glass from the table to your mouth considered weightlifting in your life? If he had had the energy, Cahill would have lifted a hand into the air and shown Filthy Henry the middle finger. 
Instead, he settled for a failed attempt at lifting his arm, an action which hurt greatly. You ever wonder why your life never happened the way you planned? Carl asked. Buddy, if you thought your life was ideal before we arrived, then I'd have asked for a refund already, Filthy Henry said. Now roll over and let's try for two push-ups this time. If you could manage them in a row, that'd be just great. Carl groaned and rolled over, just as Drew came out of the house with a book in his hand. I think we're forgetting something, Drew said, walking over to Filthy Henry. That it's beer o'clock somewhere in the world, Cahill asked, as he planted both hands firmly on the ground once more, and attempted to do a set of push-ups. Well, no, Drew said. We're forgetting about the weapon. Isn't he going to need, like, a weapon of some description? Cahill stopped pretending to work out and stood up, dusting his hands off with a few slaps in the air. What weapon? he asked walking over to stand beside the druid. In the legend, Ku Cullen had a hurley stick which he used in battle, a lot. It's mentioned in nearly every story about him. I reckon it must be some sort of artefact, the source of his power to transform. Come on, there's no way a teenage lad was able to stop an entire army on his own. Plus, the legend does say that he went all berserker at one stage near the end. Transform? Shelley asked. Filthy Henry tapped his chin. You might be on something there. In the stories when Ku Cullen needed some extra help or something, he transformed. Like your man in the comics. Goes all green and bulks up in a few seconds. Except Ku Cullen kept the intelligence and didn't go all monosyllabic. If that was because he had an artifact, then we need to get our hands on it. Why? What good is a hurley stick going to do me? Cahill asked. The fairy detective smiled. You're a direct descendant of Ku Cullen. If you hold us hurley, we might be able to figure out how to make you transform from zero to hero. Artifacts are funny like that. They tend to work for family members. This sounded like a promising plan. One Cahill felt he could definitely get behind. Why go through all the pain of gaining muscle when you could use a magic wooden stick to skip past the boring bits and become a fighting machine? There would be no need for training. And all going well, pints would be much easier to get for free if a man was ripped like a gladiator. So no training then, he asked, a hint of hope in his voice. Oh no, Filthy Henry said. You'll still need to be trained up. Just because you look like you can give a punch won't mean you can actually throw one. Also, I think we need to go and see this bull of yours. Time to see what all this fuss is over. Cahill, dismayed at the fact that he would still need to train, looked at Filthy Henry. Um, about that. Filthy Henry, Accidental Legend is a novel by Derek Power. More Filthy Henry novels are available to buy on Amazon Kindle. Narration and music by Niall Milton. To keep up to date with episodes this season, why not subscribe or like or share? We'd really appreciate it.